All right, we've been spending time in the Gospel of Luke, uh, and I told you that Luke is one of the great historians in the history of the world. Um, and, and so we're talking here now in Luke chapter 6 as Jesus is teaching us about what it means to be uh, a Christian. What does it mean when we give our hearts to Christ? How does he want us to live? Um, and the, the verses that I've asked you to give specific attention to are verses 12 to 30, and we're going to read some of them as we start the, this study today. Um, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, who he also designated as apostles. Simon, whom we named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Verse 17, he went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the, the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. What an amazing picture this is of our Lord and Savior. You can see that early on, even as he called the disciples, Jesus was already well known in the countryside. Thousands of people are coming out to see him. Thousands are looking for healing. Uh, and, and it's such an incredible picture as we see this. Um, and in your notes, I, I, what I refer to now was the Sermon on the Mount. And that was incorrect on my part. This is the Sermon on the Plain. All right? It's distinguished from the Sermon on the Mount. Slightly different. But Jesus now is in front of these thousands of people, and now he's going to speak to them uh, really uh, about what God wants from us. And by the way, I want you to look at uh, Luke chapter 4. If you just go back two pages. Luke chapter 4. And here's a passage in Luke chapter 4. We're going to look basically uh, at verse 16 on. This is a passage where Jesus really now is making his announcement of who he is coming out really uh, to the people of Israel, who is the Messiah, and what is his call. And I want you to listen carefully to what Jesus says. Verse 16, he went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And by the way, Jesus was uh, an observant Jew. He lived up to the law. And so you can imagine that every Saturday he would go to the synagogue. Uh, and he stood up to read. And we know from other passages that when he stood up to read, they have a scroll that's set up for the readings of the day, effectively. So Jesus stands up. He's handed the scroll, uh, and, and verse 17 says, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Now, do you think it was just an, uh, uh, an accident? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Just like the world is formed as an accident, right? It's all accidental, all right? I mean, see, this is what people who don't really study the Scriptures and have not received the Holy Spirit will never understand. There are no accidents under God. There are no accidents under God. Every aspect of what we go through in life, God is overarching and understanding. And so here, I want you to see the drama uh, of this. Uh, and so Jesus is given the scroll. He stands up, he unrolls it, and he finds this citation 
uh, in Isaiah, uh, and this citation is Isaiah 6, uh, 61, verses 1 and 2. So this is now written. He's about to read something that was written 800 years before. And this is what, what he says, what, what Isaiah said. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And I love the next line. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Oh, wow. You want a movie? You want a dramatic point in a movie? You couldn't get more dramatic than this. Can you just imagine what it is? Uh, and this itinerant man gets up, the carpenter's son. They knew him. That's, that's his hometown, Nazareth. He gets up, and this is what he reads. And the power of God himself declaring, I am the Messiah. This is why I am anointed. Uh, this is the day of the Lord, the day that was written 800 years before now comes to full, being fulfilled. Um, and I want you to understand uh, effectively as he does this, what, what's so powerful here uh, in terms of the words, words itself. Uh, he's saying here as he, as he reads this, uh, as he reads this passage, he says that the spirit of the Lord is on me, meaning the Holy Spirit is on me. I am one with God. All right, I am just as much as I am human, I'm fully God. And then he says he is anointed. Yes, he is anointed because God appointed him to do this task from the beginning of the foundation of the world. That's who our Savior would be, to preach good news to the poor. Now, let's understand something. When Jesus says, and you read it in the scripture, to the poor, he's not speaking in, in the term that you understand the poor. He's not talking about those people who are impoverished. He's talking about people who are poor in spirit, who are broken in spirit, who know that they need a savior, who recognize that they are lost. That's who God came for. He didn't come for the religious elite. He didn't come for those who, th who thought they didn't need any help. He didn't come to those who arrogantly look at themselves. Instead, he looked at the brokenhearted, those who, whose hearts were broken and recognized they needed a savior. All of us. It's all of us. And that's who Jesus spoke to. That's what it was about. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Is he talking about the people that are in jail? No. He's talking about prisoners to sin. Us. Prisoners to sin. Handcuffed to evil. No way out. No way to save ourselves other than through the grace of Jesus Christ and, and his blood. That's the nature of this. That's why this, these four lines or five lines here are so powerful. He's doing this right in the middle of a synagogue, right in the middle of institutional Judaism. He's putting them on notice that this is a new day. Uh, and to me, it's so powerful. Uh, and recovery of sight for the blind. Yes, will blind people be able to see when Jesus touches them? Yes, but blind people who have physical sight but are blind to the work of God will also see. All right? 
That's the blind that Jesus is touching. Everything that Jesus talks about has a higher spiritual equation. Uh, and so to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's right. Mark it down. God has indicated, I've sent you a Savior. This is, the, this is the year of God's favor. And nothing in this world would ever, ever be the same again because Jesus came. And, and this is so critical for us, especially now as we approach the Christmas season. Uh, you know, and when you think about it, I had the, the, the chance to go and visit the manger uh, and, and, you know, a couple months ago. And, and as I descended the steps down about 15 feet underground, and I saw that manger. Those of you who've been to Israel know what that site is like. As you come down there underneath a, the uh, altar of a church, one of the oldest churches in Christendom, and you see where the, where the manger was, you are floored. You are floored because you see this dark little cave, tiny. Maybe it's eight, nine feet wide. Maybe it's six feet deep. And, and they know that this was the case uh, right from the beginning because early Christians worshipped there right from the start. There was no break. That's where they started. And, and so that's quite, quite confirmed that this was the start of the manger. And what I would see is what had really touched my heart as I saw people from all parts of the world descending down those stairs, and I just watched the reaction. And as they would get down there, these people didn't speak English. Get on their knees and kiss the very spot recognizing what Christ did to them. That's the Jesus that we worship. That's the worldwide Jesus. That's the, that's the man born in the cave. Uh, and that's why Christmas is so special, that God reached out to us to give us something that we could never get on our own. It's as if he said, here, here's the, here's the lifesaver that you will have to have life everlasting instead of being dead men walking. And so it's so powerful to me as we see that and to recognize this. And so there he is making this announcement. And now some months later, he's now uh, unbelievably popular. People have seen him uh, cure blind people, people that couldn't walk. Uh, he's, all these, these miracles are being performed. Why? They're being performed so people will see this is the Son of God. That's the nature of miracles. This is the Son of God. And people saw it and recognized it. And so now if you, if you uh, turn in your Bibles, go back to Luke chapter 6. And we're going to talk now about, about uh, what Jesus will do. And so it says here, Luke chapter 6, uh, verse 17, He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there. And a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and be healed of their diseases. They were troubled by evil spirits, and they were cured. And the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. I want to tell you that about Jesus right now for you. When you accept Jesus Christ, there will be power in your life because of Jesus Christ. When you are sealed with the Holy Spirit as you are, when you accept Jesus Christ, there is power in your life. There is power to defeat sin. There is power to walk with God. There is power to walk away from evil. You don't have that power in your life unless you have accepted Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? amen. I want you to understand what I just said. All right? You can lead an ethical, moral life 
trying to live up to philosophical principles. And the first time you're going to come to a stumbling block in your life, you're going to fall flat on your face because you're not going to have the internal power to live that kind of elevated life. It is impossible. The DNA that you walk around with is the DNA of Adam, okay? It is fallen DNA. But when you accept Jesus Christ, it's as if God has plugged you into the greatest power source in the history of the world. And so now the Holy Spirit is sitting there. And so with the power of the Holy Spirit, he leads you and convicts you and gives you strength to walk away from evil and to lead the kind of life God wants you to live. And as you give sway to the Holy Spirit, that's how this works. And in fact, the Holy Spirit actually prays for you. Listen, the Holy Spirit isn't some ephemeral idea. The Holy Spirit is a personage. The Holy Spirit is a third part of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Make no mistake about it. Make no mistake about it. And so he's in you. He's with you. He walks with you. And we spoke about this last night at the service. And, and the problem with many of us is we grieve the Holy Spirit, meaning that our conduct is not consistent with what God wants us to be. And so we're being convicted. We're being pinched. We're getting the pricks in the spirit, and some of us have ignored that, all right? And, and I dare say that God turns up the heat on us so that we understand what this is about. I mean, this, this is a great understanding of what it means to be a Christian. This is what separates us from the world. Not that you're better. None of us are better. We're all miserable. We're broken. We're sinners. But for the fact that God has reached out to us, and sealed us with the Holy Spirit. That's what separates you from the world, that God has done this. And so I'm giving you this right now. God is speaking to your hearts right now, and I hope that through the Holy Spirit, every word that I'm saying to you, this is what your heart should be saying. Amen. Amen. He's right. Amen, Lord. Help me. Make me. Make me be better. Make me be the kind of man you want me to be. And look at what he says here now. Looking at the disciples right there on the plane, Jesus said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Now, let's understand something. What is Jesus saying there? Is he saying, look, I'm glad you're broke. It's a blessing to be broke, okay? Look, this is why the world will never get its arms around these sermons of Christ, all right? He isn't talking about physical wealth. He's talking about people who recognize they're lost. They need a savior. And that's how this works. You see, this is how it works. That, God, that you recognize that when you looked in your heart, when you went down deep inside yourself, you saw a darkness, a hole. You didn't want to act the way you acted. You didn't want to say the kind of things you did. And you felt lost. Uh, and you were depressed. And you needed a savior. And so you were poor in spirit. And you open your heart and say, God, help me. And God gives you the very faith to be able to do that. And then God reaches across eternity. Reaches. Saves you by the blood of Jesus Christ. Saves you. And then seals you with the Holy Spirit. All of this takes place instantaneously when we have that kind of heart felt confession. Father, help me. Make me to be the kind of man you want me to be. Lead me, Lord, to be able to be your instrument in so many ways. That is the, uh, being the poor in spirit, because the poor in spirit are, are going to have the kingdom of God. 
There it is. It's that simple. I don't have to give you a fancy formula. You want to know why am I alive? Here's why you are alive. Because God wants to give you the kingdom of God. And it's as simple as bowing your head uh, in submission to recognize that you're lost. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. And that's what we are. We hunger to hear the word of God. All right. Again, he's not talking about physical hunger. He's talking about a greater metaphorical hunger. The, the hungriness of the, we need the word of God. I hope that the reason that you come here on Monday mornings is not just for the donuts. Because <laughs> we have great donuts. But I hope that you come here because when you leave here, you have heard the word of God to your heart for the rest of the week. And I want you to know something. Right now, I'm preaching to me. I'm preaching to me. I don't want you to think that I'm immune. I'm not immune. As God is putting these words in my mouth, it's like going like this to me. Back, back, back. And the day that any preacher stops listening to the very words that God has given him and doesn't apply it to his heart, then you should be taken out of the pulpit. He's not fit to give the word of God. He's not fit to be the instrument of God. This isn't about mere rhetoric. This isn't about mere speech making. This isn't about me writing up a speech as if I was a politician. This is about me bowing before the throne of God and having God over me, anointing me, and giving me the words that you need to hear. Listen, unless I give you the words that you need to hear today, go back home and sleep a couple more hours. All right? You'd be better off. You'd be better off than wasting your time. But this is something special. God is speaking to your hearts. God is touching your hearts, and you see it here. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Oh, boy. Jesus, how you put it. And sure, you're, you're brokenhearted. Your heart is broken. You're saddened. You're cut off. And yet, what will happen is this. You're weeping now. But once the Holy Spirit gets into your heart, and God lifts you up, and he will lift you up. Is there not a man here who can say that I look at my life before and where I am now, and I would never exchange it? Never exchange it. Ever. And even as God puts things on your plate, maybe life gets more difficult and you get some more trials. God lifts you up and calls you even more. Listen, did I think at the age of 70 I would be starting a church? Are you kidding me? I didn't want to be doing this when I was 50, all right? All right? But you understand how, the, how God works. God takes us, and sometimes he has to take us by the scruff of our neck you understand? Take us by the scruff of our ne neck and put us where he wants to be. Why? Because in our puny human mind, we cannot understand it. And so when you get to the point when you put your mind down and you make a white funeral to your mind and to your heart and instead bow before the throne of God, that's when the richness of God will come into your life in a way that you'll never see it. Blessed are you when men hate you when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Let's understand what that is. There are going to be people in your life who are going to repudiate you because they know you're a Christian. They're going to know who you are. And so they're going to revile you. They're going to say terrible things about you. Why? I believe it's because they're being convicted in their own hearts. You see? You are the poster child of Jesus Christ. Now, some of us haven't been very good poster childs, 
All right? And I pray that we get better. But I want you to understand something. When they see a person of God committed to God walking amongst them, they are convicted. What do you think it's like when you're at the country club and you bow your head and you say grace? You ever look around and see what's going on? I have. All right? They're all looking at you. You understand? They're all looking at you. Why? Because you've just raised a flag. I told you this story. You've just raised the flag. I told you this story. Then I was growing up. We were poor. We would, go out, we would go out to a diner. That was going out. We'd go out to diner three times a year for our birthdays. And my father, God bless him. Of course, you know, he was as, as sold out for Jesus as anybody was, minister his whole life. He would insist in making this prayer. And, and effectively, here we are in the middle of godless New Jersey. <laughs> And I mean it. <laughs> and my dad in the middle of the diner, surrounded by these pagans. And my father would make this prayer, and lo, the Hittites are in the hills, Father. We thank you for everything. Oh, Dad, don't, don't, don't. I had read, oh, no, I can never come back here again. But you understood, he understood something, you know? He was planting a flag for Christ, all right? And so many, so many of you say to me, I want to, I want to do something for Jesus. I want to stand. How about saying grace in restaurants? Is that beyond you? Is that beyond you that you can't do that? How about saying to a waiter or waitress, we're about to say grace. Can we pray for you? How about that? You'll be stunned when you do that. When suddenly you don't care. You don't care what the world says about you because you only care what he says. I love that line from St. Paul. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Oh, Father, help us, Lord. Fill these men with that power so that none of them are ashamed of the gospel, that we understand that the gospel is why we have life eternal. Look, how can a guy speak like this at 8.30 in the morning on a Monday? How can a guy speak like this when he spoke last night at 6 o'clock and preached? Because it's not about the guy... You understand? It's not about the guy. It's about giving myself to the Lord and letting the Lord speak through me. That's what God wants for you. All right? There's no other way to explain what Jesus is about. And look at this. He says, rejoice in that day. Verse 23, rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven for that is how their fathers treated the prophets. Look, God gives you the greatest bargain in history. All it is is this. You accepted a free gift, salvation. And by accepting that free gift, God has saved you for eternity. You will be with Jesus. You will be with God the Father. And you will be reunited with your family and friends that are part of the kingdom of God. All of that because you bowed in submission and accepted the free will of God. That's how great your God is. That's how much he loves you. That he would bankrupt heaven to put his son on a cross. And understand that. Verse 24. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. What is that about? Right? Is it a sin to be rich? No. It's not a sin to be rich. It's a sin to be in love with your riches. 
It's a sin to make an idol of your riches. It's a sin to take your wealth and affluence and put it on a pedestal and have that interfere with your relationship with Jesus Christ. All right? Jesus comes first in every way, with your family, with your friends, with your affluence, with your job. Nothing takes precedence over Christ. Can I get an amen, church? All right? You understand this? That's who your Jesus is, and that's who your God is. And so if you walk around in a self-satisfied state, saying, I'm in great shape, I don't need anything, I'm self-sufficient, well, then you're just one step from doom. You don't recognize it. There's not one case in Scripture where God took an arrogant man and elevated him for the kingdom. Not one case. What does it mean? It means that God repudiates pride. He repudiates pride. He repudiates arrogance. You will be nothing in the kingdom if you continue to elevate yourself and think you're a great person. But, but if you introspectively look at your life, and as a result of looking at your life, say, Father, I'm lost. Help me, Lord. I don't, I'm saying things I don't want to say. I'm being mean and malicious at times. I don't want to be that. Lord, help me. That's when God lifts us up, when we do that in such a powerful way. Uh, And then he says, Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophet. How about that? So if you find yourself in in the world in which people in the world are saying, You're great. You're good. You're a terrific guy. Be careful. All right? Be careful. Be warned. Because their value system is not the value system of God. All right? Not the value system of God. Uh, And so you need to be put on notice. These are powerful verses. Uh, As Jesus gives us what it means to be a child of the king, what it means to walk with Christ, and and warns uh, warns us about our conduct that is not consistent with that. Look at verse 27. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Let's stop. Yeah. I don't know about you. But I find this to be one of the harder things, harder, harder things as a Christian. Love your enemies. Frankly, some of us can't even love our wives. <laughs> I know somebody's saying, oh, my wife could be an enemy. But, but the point of what I'm saying is this. God is drawing a line in the sand that is differentiating himself from Judaism. Because, you know, in Judaism, that wasn't, that wasn't the way it was. All right, loving your enemies. Only you can only love your enemies when the Holy Spirit is in your heart. There's no other way. There is no other way. And one of the things that I have found for myself is when people have done ill for me, that if I start praying for them, okay, and I don't mean God judge them harshly. <laughs> all right? That's not the prayer, but rather God give them wisdom, help them to see your will. When you pray like that. You cannot hate them. And here's the other thing. When you hate people, it's as if you're drinking the rat poison to, help, to hurt them. That's the analogy. When you hate people, that's exactly what you're doing. You think, oh, yeah, I hate them. They're bad people. God doesn't want us to act like that. God is speaking to us uh, in ways that are so simple and yet so straightforward that differentiate us 
from the kingdom of God. In verse 28, Jesus says that we must bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Can you imagine? Bless those who curse us. Bless those who curse us uh, and, and pray for those who oppose us. Yes, this is what it means to be a child of God. It's not easy. It doesn't come naturally, all right? All right? But with the power of the Holy Spirit sealing you, God has given you the ability to understand this. And I want to show you really how this differentiated itself even from the Old Testament. Turn to Genesis 27, verse 29. May nations serve you and people bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed. And those who bless you be blessed. Now that's an institutional uh, analogy for the kingdom of Israel. But you see the difference now in the Sermon on the Plain and what we've learned before in the Sermon on the Mount. God is changing the tenor of his people. How? By grace, through Jesus Christ. All right? Through Jesus Christ, sealed with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so what does this mean, the, these verb tenses that we see here? It means that we are to keep on blessing. Keep on blessing. Not bless once. Bless in this context means to speak well of. To speak well of. Can you imagine? And then the third way Jesus directed his followers to express love deals with what we say to God about our enemies. And can you honestly say this? We are to pray for them. Yet another command in the present tense says, keep on praying for them. That's why I'm so glad when we have a prayer for, for, for a church that's in terrible shape. That's what God wants you to do. I don't care if you've been hurt in that church. I don't care if you've been removed from that church. God wants you to pray for that church. That is the church of God. And even though right now it may not be in the hands of God, someday it will be in the hands of God. All right? as God goes through and, and, and sifts through the chafe and wheat. It will someday be that. But you need to pray right now as we pray for all churches, as I pray for the kingdom of God. I pray for his will in every possible way. I pray for you guys that you stay strong. Uh, and so we need to understand this. Uh, and, and so the phrase here that Jesus referred to as mistreating means uh, refers to people with abusive speech. Or abusive action. Has that happened to you? Have you, have you been the victim of abusive speech? Have, has, have people slandered you? Have they said lies about you? Because frankly, if you haven't, then you're probably not doing something right. Because that's the nature of what the world is. All right? You should expect to be slandered. You should expect to have lies being told about you. Why? Because you have a target on your back. All right, Satan sees that target. He knows that you're walking with Christ. You think he cares about the poor bum who's drunk on the curbside? He's not worried about him. He's worried about you. You're going to church on Sunday. You're going to Bible study on Monday. You're involved in, in so many outreaches. You're a problem. You understand? You're a problem. And so that's why you're going to suffer some, some temptations and trials. That's why it's, uh, there's going to be malice and slander uh, given to, uh, to you. 
you need to be able to understand it. Then look at verse 29 here. Uh, and uh, really, Jesus really drills down, doesn't he? Boy, Jesus was something. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your, close, your cloak, do not stop him from taking your, your tunic. Let's stop and, and, and drill down on what Jesus is saying here. Someone strikes you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. Now, we need to look at the context of what Jesus was saying, who he was saying it to, and what most likely Jesus meant. Did Jesus mean that as you were walking down the street and, and some uh, ruffian comes up behind you and smacks you in the face, that you get up and you go, uh, you, that was the right side, you can hit me over here on the left now. You think that's what Jesus meant? That's not what Jesus meant. All right? That's not what Jesus meant. It had nothing to do with, with physical striking or physical abuse. Jesus was talking about malicious slander, where people slandered you and lied about you. That's what this is about. It's not about physical abuse. And, you know, p- good people misread the Bible. Leo Tolstoy, when he read this, came out with the decision that no Christian could ever be a cop or be a soldier. Wrong! You understand? Jesus never said that. Never said that. We understand that we have a right to defend ourselves from physical abuse. God doesn't expect you to stand there and take a physical beating, but rather God is speaking about, the, about, about people that use malice and slander uh, and will say terrible things about you. And when that happens, that's when you turn the cheek because you're not going to allow you're not going to allow words to come in and infect what God has given you, all right? Because if that were the case and we went out with the Great Commission, can you imagine? We go out in the Great Commission and now all of a sudden we're being slandered and what will we have? A bunch of bar fights? That's it? Oh, he slandered me and I'm going to, I'm going to square off physically with somebody? Do you think what you would do to the kingdom of God? So let's understand the words. This isn't about Jesus saying that you can't defend yourself or defend your family from physical harm. But instead, understanding, have an understanding of what God, how, how God wants us to live as it relates to what I call slander and malice uh, in so many ways. And then look what he says here uh, also uh, about, about uh, after turning the cheek. Give to, he says here in verse 29, if someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other. Also, if someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Now, what does that mean? <clears throat> does Jesus, is Jesus saying, uh, it's okay, I want you to walk around the streets without any clothing? Because if you read that and you limit it just to the words itself, that's the conclusion you would have. That's why we ask God for discernment. No, he's not saying that. Jesus is talking about this view in the world where it's about my stuff. You understand my stuff? my possessions, what I have. And when you get so sold out about your stuff that you then eventually go to war because you don't want to give up your stuff, then you have lost the kingdom of God. You have lost why God has called you. Listen, everything you own is his. I don't care what it is. And Jesus was making the point then that, that somebody wants your cloak, you give them your tunic, meaning this. If you see a need... 
If you see a need, you need to recognize, Father, I will do whatever I can to advance the kingdom for you. I will be your hands. I will be your feet. I will not be so cheap about your goods. It's like when people say to me, I, I need to know, John, what your uh, view of tithing is. It's, uh, is it on the net or is it on the gross? And I say this, it's on everything. God doesn't care about net or gross. When you get to the point and understand this paradigm, everything you have is his. You understand? Your bank account, your stock portfolio, your business, it's all his. Now, what part of his do you not want to give back to him? And when you look at it that way, you come under conviction. That's the Holy Spirit. You understand? That's the nature of Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts. Uh, and so Jesus is warning us about being selfish, about having the spirit of selfishness. Uh, and so he's emphasizing that he expects us to be unselfish. Our natural tendency is to hold on to our stuff. We don't want to give it up. All right? That's our natural tendency. And Jesus is challenging us. Now, there are, there, there are issues that are, are somewhat exclusionary on this. Turn to 2 Thessalonians, and I want to make sure you understand this. 2 Thessalonians. Yes, we have a responsibility to give to the poor. Yes, we have a responsibility to give to those that can't work, right? But there is an exclusion. Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For your example, for yourselves, know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. By the way, this is Paul, the greatest evangelist in the history of the world, the guy who will write more than 50% of the New Testament. And he's saying that they paid for food, that he worked for it. Yes, he did. Okay? Yes, he did. He didn't take handouts. He worked for it. If God gave him the ability to work, he worked for it. All right? On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. God doesn't want us to be a burden to other people. He expects us to work if we can work. He expects us to do that if he's given you talents and gifts. He expects you to work. Why? Because from your substance, he expects you to give to others. But he makes a warning here. He makes a warning. We did this because we did not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. Whoa, I didn't know this, John. I didn't know this. You mean that if a man does not work, he's not entitled to the, to the, uh, this, the benefactions of the people of God? I think that's what that says, all right? And so God is putting you on notice that even as we walk in the kingdom of God, that I have a responsibility even as a, as a pastor and a preacher and a teacher. I have a responsibility to work. I don't sit here and look for handouts. I do what God has given me the gift to do. That's what God has called us to do. And if we see people that need help, we step up and help them. 
We give from our substance. But if there are those who are idle, refuse to work because they don't want to work, because they're lazy, well, you heard the kingdom of God. You heard Paul say it right there. Uh, and, and so it's pretty, pretty straightforward as we drill down and see what God says in those verses. And so he's, he's stressing the urgency here, the urgency which with, with his followers to root out those who are unwilling to work for the kingdom of God. You are working not to build up your bank account. You're working not to take care of your retirement. You're working because God blessed you with health and wealth and intellect because God expected that as you would work and accumulate that you would take some of what you've accumulated and give it back to those who need. Can I get an amen on that? All right, I want you to understand that. Look, I'm not one of these guys preaching on tithing, okay? That's between you and God. I already told you what I said about tithing. Everything you own is his. Now you decide how much of it you give back of his property. But I'm telling you right now why God has given you health and wealth and intellect. It's not merely to raise yourself up to say, what a smart guy I am. I hope the world acknowledges me. Look at me. I'm so great. No, it isn't. Put your face in the dust. Put your face in the dust and see who in the kingdom of God God wants you to touch and bless. It becomes so important in so many ways. And so here's the problem. So many people in the world take these teachings of Jesus out of context. The world has no idea as to how Jesus taught and what it meant. Uh, And so we need to look at these teachings uh, and the commands issued here in these verses as seen in the light of the general, general principle of Jesus Christ, that we have to make a constant Christian effort of love. That's what we stand for, folks. Love. Love. It should permeate every aspect of your life. Love to the kingdom of God, to those who are lost, to those who are in need, and to your fellow brothers and sisters in this room and in faith. God expects you to love in every possible way. And God expects us to deny ourselves, if necessary, in order to love someone else. That's the nature of the love of Christ. That's what it's all about. Look, let's understand this clearly. Jesus isn't concerned about personal affronts. Jesus isn't concerned if somebody uh, maliciously talks about you or slanders you. He's already given you that verse. He's talked about turning the other cheek. But Jesus expects that of your substance, as you walk with him, that your life is filled with the love of Christ. Now look, you can't do this on your own. It's impossible. Only when you bow and accept Christ to come into your heart, to accept Jesus as the sovereign ruler of every day of your life, when you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, as God infuses the Holy Spirit into your life, it's that infusion that allows you to live the rest of your life the way God wants you to live. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for the message that you've given us. Lord, I thank you for these dear men who love you and come out every Monday to hear your word. Lord, bless them and touch them and lift them up. Make this message resonate in their hearts. Let them understand the great gift of the Holy Spirit that you've given them. Lord, especially now in this month of December, bless them as we go through the holiday season. Lift them up. Let them be beacons of truth. Let them plant the flag of Christ. 
wherever they go. They for let them not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but to lift it up to a world that's desperately needed. Lord, protect them and bring them back safely in January so that we can continue to study the word with you. Father, we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Merry Christmas.